You're listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and we are continuing our study through the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse number 9. Let's stand one more time as we read God's Word, and we're going to read this together as we have done these past two weeks. Scripture says, Jesus says, pray then like this, all together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Have you ever Googled your name? You ever went in there and just Googled your name just to, just to see what is on that Google machine? Well, if you've done that, that practice is called ego surfing. So you didn't know that, but you're an ego surfer. There's actually a website that you can, that you can look up. Uh, it's called howmanyofme.com. And I know some of you, you're probably going to be doing that while I'm preaching in a moment. But on this website, you can actually find how many people in America have your same name. So I did some research on some of our staff. There are 4,500 John Longs. It's a very common name. There are 538 Aaron Carters. Not to be confused with the singer, but this is our tech guy upstairs. Maybe you didn't know what his name was. Well, there's 538 of them in America. There are 36 Casey Shermans. So the guy that just sang a moment ago, there's 36 different ones with his name. Our worship pastor, Josh Ramos, there are 27 of them. Craig Bell, not Craig Beal, but Craig Bell. There are 11 of him. Did you know that there are two Alan Brumbacks? <laughs> but here is what I did, and I researched this. There is one and only one April Brumback, my wife. Amen. Ain't no woman like the one I got. <laughs> People love to hear their names. That you, you, that, that it, it is Dale Carnegie who said, remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. This is why if, if you've ever had someone mispronounce your name, my last name is Brumbach. I've been called a lot of things. Some of you have harder names than that. Some of you have really simple names. But if you've ever had someone mispronounce your name or, or if, you've ever, you know, what, if you've ever known that your name is going to be in a publication, you immediately go and you make sure that it's spelled right. If you've ever seen your name misspelled, my name, I'm a four-letter word, okay, A-L-A-N, Alan. I have had my name spelled A-L-L-E-N for a long time. It is A-L-A-N. So when you write those checks to me, you make sure to get it right. A-L-A-N, I'm just kidding. But when someone, when someone mispronounces your name or, dis, or, or misspells your name, you, you just you, you feel upset. It, it kind of grates on you. and You feel slighted. You feel disrespected. And because and you love your name. You know, as much as we love our names, there's a name that's greater than ours. There, there's a name that's higher than ours. And that is God's. And we should love his name. There is just something about that name. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. We sing songs about that name. 
Do you understand that God's name is a name that roars like a lion to the principalities of this world? It's a name that causes the the evil forces to shrink back in fear. In God's name, mountains are moved, chains are loose, sickness is counseled. And the things that are not are called into being by that name. There is an amazing, awe-inspiring power in the hallowed name of our God. And as we look into the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And many people, including myself at times, have struggled to apply the Lord's Prayer in my life because for many of us, it's just a rote prayer, something that we memorize, but we don't see it as a very guide to the throne of grace. When, and, and I think that what makes the Lord's Prayer so powerful is that, as I said last week, it contains the whole Bible compressed within these phrases. And if there is one misunderstood phrase... In the entirety of the Lord's Prayer, it is the phrase, hallowed be your name. We often kind of glaze over it or we skip over it or we ignore it, but yet I want you to get this morning that I believe that this phrase, hallowed be your name, is the key to understanding the rest of this prayer. It is the key that will unlock your prayer life. Here is what I want you to get this morning is this, is that when we prioritize God's name in our life, we will see the power of God work in and through our prayer lives. Two things this morning. The first thing I want you to see is this, that is the priority of hallowing God's name in our lives. The word hallowed here is not a word that we use in everyday language. I mean, when's the last time you've really used that word hallowed? It's kind of a churchy word. It sounds stuffy. It's an archaic word. Maybe the only time that you use it in a year is in October when we use just part of the word when we say the word Halloween. Maybe others have used it, speaking about a location in which they called hallowed, like Rupp Arena. It's hallowed ground. That's in Kentucky. Growing up, I heard a friend of mine used to think that the word there instead of hallowed was Howard. And so when he prayed, he thought God's name was Howard. Our Father in heaven, Howard be your name. The word hallowed, hagiazzo, means this. It means to make holy, separate, consider as holy, not to treat as common, to treat as special, to treat value or valuable or treasured. It's to set God apart in your heart and your mind to be praised and adorned. It's to be treated differently. Now, in my house, we have, if you come to my house, we we have kind of two sets of things that we'll let you use to drink from. Actually, three. One will let you drink straight from the can if if you want to, you know, if you want to drink a Coke or something like that. But we have plastic cups, and that's for just the family to drink out of. Then we have glass cups, that's for company. But there's another set of cups that are, that are hallowed. These are my wife's antique crystal goblets that have been handed down for two or three generations in her family. These cups, these goblets are not for using, they are for admiring. They do not go in the dishwasher. Kids do not drink from them. You are not even barely allowed to look at them. 
They are special. They are hallowed. They're set apart. They're treasured. They're valued. That's what that word means. So he says, hallowed be your name. The the concept of the name, and and, and when we think of this biblically, God's name speaks for the totality of who he is. It's his public reputation. God's name stands for God himself. Now, in our Western world, we use names to label or to distinguish one person from another. So you, when you think of your name, well, that's your name, and maybe you kind of get into the background of what that name may have meant. Alan means intelligent. I got fit right, okay? <laughs> and in some translations, it means handsome. So you know what? <laughs> but we use the name to distinguish one person from the other. The Hebraic understanding of a name is that a name is inseparable from the person. So in other words, you can't think of God's name without thinking of who God is. So David in Psalm 8.1 said this, O Lord, O our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When God, when David thought of God, he thought of majestic and he thought, well, the name of God is majestic. Uh, a 19th century theologian, uh, Babnik, said this, that there's an intimate link, link between God and his name. We do not name God, God names himself. Summed up in his name is the honor, fame, excellencies, and revelation, and his very being. So when Moses was given the name of God in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God says, I am who I am. I am the Lord, Yahweh. And in doing so, his name is just I am. And that reveals that his very own self-existence. He is, he is, he, I am. His self-sufficiency, I am and there is no other. And his absolute sovereignty. His name reveals his inexhaustibility, his immutability. I am, I don't change. His eternality, that he's always has been and always will be. And it speaks of his supremacy. So when God gave the name to Moses, he says, my name is I am. And I am does not fit in any of your boxes because I am and I will be forever. You don't define me, I define me. See, God, if you read the Bible, is concerned about his name. One of the top ten commandments of God is you should not take forward your God's name in vain. That is, you should not treat it with contempt. You should not treat it as common. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11, God says, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. How should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 14, God says, I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, in whose sight I have brought them out. Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 16, it won't be on the screen, but here's what the word says, whoever blasphemes the name shall die. You see, that seems awful harsh. Well, I want you to get this thought, because a lot of preachers don't preach this. A lot of times you'll hear even worship music or preaching from the pulpit that basically says God loves you because you're valuable. But I want you to understand, that's not what the Bible says. Here's something you need to get about God. God isn't for you. And you say, well, that's awful bad. No, it's biblical. God is for God. You say, well, I don't think I like that preaching preacher. I want God for me. God is for God, and you want God to be for God, because if God is for God, then that means it's going to be something good for you. 
you say, well, I don't think that that's very right. How can God be so egotistical? How can he be so self-centered? Well, think about this. Who in the world could be egotistical or self-centered? God can. Why? Because he's God. You say, well, I don't think he should be egotistical because you've brought him down to your level. God is the God who doesn't revolve around us. We are to revolve around him. Matt Chandler on this topic said this. He says, God's motivation behind his provision, passion, and love for you is not that we are great, but that he is great. See, Adrian Rogers said this a long time ago. God does not love us because we're valuable, but we're valuable because God loves us. The great king of glory, the Lord of lords, who is concerned about his name, who is for himself, is a God who loves you. How great a God is he? So, when he says, hallowed be your name, we typically read that as just an acclamation. We think that what Jesus is saying is that when we pray, as we're to pray, our Father in heaven, how great is your name? It's like, it's like an acclamation. It's, it's like a point of praise. It's like in that is it, it just tells you that we are to adorn God. And in a sense, that's true. But I want you to get something that many of us, and maybe you knew this, but maybe you didn't know this, is that I want you to understand that this is not just an acknowledgement of an existing truth. This is a petition. This is the first ask that Jesus says that we're to ask for. When he says, our Father in heaven, the first thing that we're to ask for is this, let your name be hallowed, or cause your name to be hallowed. It is, and those of you that are, that are geeks and nerds and understand all this, it is a third person imperative. It is a soft command. It's as if, as Al Mohler says, that, that we are to ask God, God, act in such a way that visibly demonstrates your holiness and glory in my life and in the world. It is asking God to do something personal and to do something global. We'll talk about that later. Al Mohler also says that by asking the name, asking that the name of God be hallowed, Jesus is asking God to move and act in the world so that people would value his glory, esteem his holiness, and treasure his character above all else. It's the first petition. And the reason it's first is because it's most important. Now, let's just have honesty time with Pastor Allen. The majority of our prayers are often about us. The majority of our prayers are often about our needs. It's gimme, gimme, gimme. And in a sense, God wants us to come and ask. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. Jesus said, ask and you shall be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door shall be open to you. But what we have to get at is the truth is that asking God to have his name hallowed is not a priority often in our prayers. We don't really think about it. We typically say, God, thank you, Father, thank you, we love you, and then gimme, gimme, gimme. But here Jesus uses the first petition to move our prayers from ourselves and to get our focus on God because our prayers should be God-centered, not me-centered. John Piper said this, that the ultimate purpose of God 
is that our hearts are engaged in treasuring, loving, and esteeming, and valuing God. That's the aim of God. Hallowing God is what properly motivates the rest of your prayers. Let me just explain this to you. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, maybe if you have it in your Bible, page 811 in the Pew Bible, if you just kind of look at how this is is written, notice this, that when you and I see God's majesty, when you and I see God's wisdom, and we want that to be separate, and we want that to be cherished, and we want that to be treasured in our life. When we see that his wisdom and his majesty is greater than ours, then we will pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because we'll see that our will and our way is not as good as his will and his way. When we see God's greatness, when we see and envision his perfection, That helps us see our flaws and our imperfections, and it leads us to ask for forgiveness. When we see God's goodness, his absolute goodness and his graciousness, it leads us to see our helplessness and to ask God for our daily bread and for our protection. See, until we get it right, we're going to all be messed up because all of the other petitions in the Lord's Prayer are ultimately about us hallowing the name of God. Now think about this with me. You and I cannot treasure God or honor God or hallow God if we are dead from starvation. David said in the Psalms, the dead cannot praise you. So we ask, give us our daily bread so that I can live another day to praise your name. We cannot hallow and treasure the name of God if we are constantly in despair over our sin. If we're constantly feeling guilt and shame, we will not honor his name. So that's what leads us to ask, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we will not be able to treasure and hallow his name if we are on the path of destruction from spiritual attack. So we pray, God, deliver us from evil. Keep us from temptation. See, God provides the practical support of daily bread, forgiveness of sins, and deliverance from evil so that you and I can honor his name. Don't get it backwards. Don't get it backwards. God doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. God is most glorified in us, Piper says, when we are most satisfied in him. See, everything in life flows out of our worship and adoration of God. That's why it's a priority. You want to know why your prayers aren't getting answered. You want to know why things aren't going and your perspective is not the way it should be. It's because you've got it out of order. We see the priority of hallowing God's name. But here's the second point, and that's the power of hallowing God's name in our lives. What what, what does this do? As I said, that when you have God's name as a priority in your life, it will give you the power. It It will change your prayer life. How does it do it? This petition first changes us personally. The first petition gives us a proper attitude towards God. 
which I believe is the basis for everything in our lives. Tozer said that, you, that whatever a man thinks about God, that's really what he is. And, and, and there are within us these, uh, these uh, problems in which we entertain thoughts of God that are too low of him. And that's what he calls the essence of idolatry. But I want you to understand that we are not praying, God, hallowed be your name so that God would be more holier than he is. He can't get any holier than he is. We are praying that God would be more holier in our lives. See, he cannot be lifted any higher than he is, but we, in the world, in creation, in, in the universe, he's, he's high, he's at the climax. He can't get any holier than he is, so when we pray, God, hallowed be your name, we're not saying, God, you get more holier. He can't be any holier than he is. He's the holiest. That's why the angels right now in the throne room are saying, holy, holy, holy. But we want him to be holier in our lives. He does it in two ways. Number one, is that God becomes the most beautiful thing in our lives. So when we say, God, hallowed be your name, we're asking God, God, be the most beautiful in my life. Many of us see God as a means to get to what we really want. But yet, saying, God, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, I don't want to just have you as the means to get something else, but God, I want you to see the thing that I want. You're not just a means of getting something better. God, you are the best. You're the greatest. And so it's not just seeing God is useful, but it's seeing God is beautiful. Seeing God is holy means seeing him better than anything else you're asking from him. That he's more desirable. See, here's what I found in my own life. And, and I've got a lot of this, and I have to give him credit, it's from Tim Keller. His book, Counterfeit Gods, really rocked my world about 12, 11 to, uh, years ago. And here's what I found, that we love what we most find beautiful. So whatever you think is beautiful in your life is what you love the most. Augustine said this, that our identity and our behavior is a function of what we love the most. The main problem of the human heart, the main human problem we have, is that we misidentify what makes us happy. The old great theological song, looking for love in all the wrong places, (laughs) is true. Because we either love what we ought not to love, or we fail to love what we ought to love, or we love more what we should love less, or we love less what we should love more. And the reason for our misery is disordered love. We've got it out of whack. The reason that most people in this world are miserable, if not all people in this world are miserable, is because they don't love God supremely. See, we don't see him as the most beautiful in our lives. And so if you want to change, if you're miserable this morning, and maybe some of you are miserable, if you want to change, change what you worship. Because what's maybe making you miserable is you're worshiping you. And if you worship you, you're a horrible God. You're a crummy God. You're a dummy God. What you need is to change Instead of worshiping you, worship some of us. Or maybe the reason you're miserable is you're worshiping somebody else and that someone else is not meeting all your expectations. Or maybe you're worshiping worshiping something else and that thing is not fulfilling your heart like you think. Because listen, in my life, all the anger, all the anxiety, and all the discouragement in my life comes from not seeing God as most beautiful in my life. I see something else as most beautiful. 
I see a basketball team, or I see uh, my wife, or I see my children, or I see my church, or I see my ministry, or I see my influence, or I see my money, and I look at that as being the most beautiful, but it can't be the most beautiful in my life. It will never measure up. So what I need is I need God to be hallowed in my life because when God's name is hallowed in my life, I find him more desirable and more beautiful than anything else. Psalm 73, notice what the psalmist says, the psalm of Asaph. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's nothing I want on earth but you. If you could have the whole world but not Jesus, would you take it? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? When you say, hallowed be your name, you're saying, God, all I want is you. And it changes how you pray. Here's how it changes. Oh, please stay with me. Don't let me lose you this morning. Is it, you pray this way. God, I would like a new job. Now I'm praying that none of my staff are praying that. But when you pray, hallowed be your name, you're saying, God, I would like a new job. Or God, I would like a healed body. Or God, I, I would like a financial provision. But God, you're better than any of those things. So if I don't get them, it'll be okay. Because my joy is in you. Do you see that? See, think about this. Keller said this. He says, in religion, people obey God because he's useful. So I'll come to church. I'll put money in the plate. I'll be nice to people so I can get something. But in Christianity, people obey God because he's beautiful. Hallowed be your name. God, I want you to be the most beautiful in my life. Oh, I could, I, I could continue on, but you, I don't know if any of us could stand it, even myself, so we'll just go to the next point. That is, when we say hallowed be your name, we're not just saying God be most beautiful in my life, but number two, we're saying God be the most worthy. I want my life, I want to live my life to give you glory. My, my prayer, God, is not about my needs getting met, but about your glory and your holiness being known. And that your name is being loved as it deserves. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, my life is not about me or my prosperity, but it's about making much of your name. What does the Westminster Confession of Faith say? It says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So when we say, Hallowed be your name. We're saying, God, cause your name to be honored, to be loved, to be cherished, to be glorified in whatever circumstance or whatever situation comes in my life because my life is not about me. My life is for thee. So make my life, God, a reflection of your holiness and your goodness. In every movie, there are main characters and there are minor characters. The minor characters are not as important because the, because the story is defined by the major characters. So maybe you have heard the name Biggs Darklighter. Any of you ever heard that name? Biggs Darklighter. If you have, you're a geek. And that's okay. 
God loves geeks and nerds. And I like to eat nerds, the little bitty nerds. The grape flavor is my favorite. But in the Star Wars saga, Biggs Darklighter appears. He comes in the first movie, A New Hope. If you've watched a movie, you know he's there. He only has a couple of lines. If you know the saga, like the comic books and other things, he actually was a good friend, a childhood friend of Luke Skywalker. He was an X-Wing pilot, and during the attack onto the Death Star, he was a wingman for Luke Skywalker. And in this critical part of the battle, he has this line, this interchange, where he talks with Luke Skywalker, and the next thing you know, he gets hit, and he dies to shield Luke Skywalker from being hit. He died to protect Luke Skywalker, who would eventually blow up the Death Star. So without Biggs, Luke would be dead, and the Star Wars movies would have not made the billions of dollars that they've made. Like, there would be no Star Wars land at Disney. It would be like the dark side wins. So Biggs, who had a minor part in the, in the story, understood the part of the story that he was playing, that the purposes for him in that story was not for himself, but to serve the purposes of the main character, Luke Skywalker. You and I have to understand that we are minor characters in the story of redemption, but yet God uses us to glorify the main character, who is Jesus Christ. See, God might hallow his name before others by prospering you so that you can praise him for it and use those successes to further his kingdom. But he might just as often hallow his name by letting you suffer so that you can show everyone that in the middle of suffering, you can have joy because his love is better than anything in life. That's what it means. It changes you. It's changing me. Church, I want to be very candid. This journey we're going on, I'm going on with you. It's changing me to see him as most beautiful and to see him as most worthy. Now, that doesn't mean I don't mess up, but it gives you perspective. But when it changes, it not only changes us personally, but this this petition changes the world globally. When you pray, hallowed be your name, when you're saying, God, I want your name to be treasured and loved and valued and honored and cherished in my life, you're also saying, God, I want it in the lives of other people. It's evangelistic. Because when you say, God, I want your name to be known, I want it to be known by other people. There are billions of people in our world who have never heard the name of Jesus. It's a book that I just finished by David Platt called Something Has to Change. And he is in the Himalayan mountains and he is going from village to village speaking to people who have never heard the name of Jesus. They don't know who he is. They have no concept of who he is. So if they don't know who he is, they are not worshiping for who he is. What is evangelism? Evangelism is not some rote thing that we do as some sort of gimmick to trick people in becoming 
weirdos. It is simply pointing others so that they would worship the same God you do and glorify his name. So when you are asking God to hallow his name, you're saying, God, we ask that you not only make your name hallowed in my life, but in the nations and in my nation and in my neighborhood. You know, here's what I found. When you find something that's beautiful, when you find something that's worthy, what do we, what's a natural tendency? To tell everybody. Like, have you ever found a really good restaurant? What do you do? You tell everybody, hey, man, I ate at that place. It was awesome. Or if you ever bought something, some little gadget, and said, man, I bought that, and it, it's, it's, the, it's revolutionized my life. Why do you do that? Here's the question. Why is it if you find something worthy and something beautiful, why is it that you want to share with others? Because when you share it with others, and, and listen, this concept is coming from C.S. Lewis, but when you share it with others, you are completing your joy. You get joy in sharing it with others. That you found something great and you want them to find the same thing that's great. That's all evangelism is. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. See, there is no thing, no one greater to share than God. So when you pray, God, hallowed be your name, it changes you so that you don't run around sad. That your joy is completed by sharing him with others. And let me just say this. If you are not actively sharing his greatness with others, it's a heart problem because you are not honoring God in your life because if he is the most valuable, treasured, possession person in your life, you're going to tell everybody about him. Isn't that true? Let me end. The key to desiring and praying that God's name be hallowed comes from knowing and experiencing God. Psalmist says, those who know your name put their trust in you. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 3. David says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips shall praise you. That word steadfast love, chesed, is God's unconditional, covenant, committed love. It's an undeserved love. David here, in writing this psalm, is shocked by God's love in his life. He says, essentially, God, after all of my sin and how many times I've failed you, you still bless me? You still forgive me? You still love me? God, why are you still loving me? David had an experience of grace in his life, but he didn't know fully how God could love him despite his sin. He couldn't understand it, but we do. See, we have experienced the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ. The name Jesus is the name of God. Jehovah saves. 
Jesus came to a world that despised him, that mocked him, that disrespected him, that belittled him, so that he could save us. See, if you have truly experienced God's grace in your life, you will desire God's name to be praised through your life. Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. Where do you see the beauty and worthiness of God on display? You see it at the cross. At the cross, it seems to be awful ugly. But what I want you to understand is that the cross is God's greatest victory. That what seemed like defeat was victory. Because three days later, it proved that he is ultimately victorious. You know, when our sports teams win a game, we glory in that team. We chant their name. Like yesterday when Kentucky beat Arkansas, I said, go Big Blue. C-A-T-S, cats, cats, cats. Those of you that are sports fans, you identify with your team. When your team wins, you're elated. When they lose, you're depressed. When they win, you love them. You feel good about them. When they lose, you're despondent and you call them a bunch of bums. Isn't that the truth? Here's the truth, though. God has won the ultimate victory. He is always victorious. Regardless of how you view your life, He is victorious so that He is the one who should get all the honor and all the glory. We should honor His name. Because even if you don't now, you will one day. In Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's how I want to end. I want to end in worship. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he wants to have a relationship with you. You can call out to him. The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't matter how good you are, how bad you are, you need Jesus. But I want us to end in worship. But before we do, I want everyone just to bow your heads. Close your eyes. And I want you just in this moment just to talk to your God. Talk to the Father. Maybe you need to ask Him to forgive you for where you have not honored His name as holy. Maybe you need to ask Him to help you get the priority right. Whatever your needs are, whatever your needs may be, you just pray to the Father. Just talk to God. Because all we're going to do here in a moment is just worship. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.